Kathy. I'm Anatole. And I'm Justin. And this is Comics First. Thank you for listening to another Comics First podcast. Just a reminder, you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsfirst, on Twitter at, at comicsfirst, on YouTube at youtube.com slash TV. And again, another reminder to check us out on YouTube because every week we are bringing you the best in weekly video reviews of comics that just come out that Wednesday. So please check us out. We've got many people working hard. No one who's here, unfortunately. But <laughs> next time I talk about this, there'll be someone who does the weekly video reviews and we will all give them accolades um but today we have marlene from i like comics too and we're so excited hey hey because we've known marlene for so long and we're finally getting a chance to podcast together i'm really really excited and talk about a comics expert man yes you know your x-men stuff (laughs) you know your x-men stuff a little bit and you freaking work for comics.tumblr.com yes i do i'm the editor-in-chief there which is pretty rad How much more rack can you freaking get, man? <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty good gig. I can't complain. <laughs> and we've got Josh here. Hello. Hi, Josh. Not as exciting, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> the point is that you made it. Yes, I did. And Tom is here as well. Glad to be here, guys. Also with the X-Men connection. Well, I've kind of been obsessed with the X-Men since I was about seven, so yeah, definitely an X-Men connection. (laughs) Um, That happens. Well, since you've been obsessed with the X-Men, I was wondering if you could give us a little history on Rogue, because today we're going to be talking about um, different female characters that stand out in the comic book, um, I don't want to say community, but in the comic book, in the comics verse. (laughs) How much more perfect can you get than that? Exactly. (laughs) so we're talking about female characters that stand out in the comics first, and the first one we're going to be talking about is Rogue today, and next we're going to be talking about Ms. Marvel for next week, but it's interesting because the original Ms. Marvel is in a lot of these Rogue comics that we talked about, Carol Danvers. So without further ado, Tom, would you give us some background on Rogue? Well, Rogue was originally um, a villain, one of the enemies of Carol Danvers, Ms. Marvel. Chris Claremont created her as part of his Brotherhood of Mutants, and he'd originally planned to introduce her in Ms. Marvel 25. When that series was cancelled, he just chose to carry on with the continuity as though those events had happened all the same. Um, So you first see Rogue turning up in Avengers Annual 10 as a villain, where she absorbs the personality and the powers of Ms. Marvel. From that point on, though, she begins to become quite haunted by what she's experienced. And you see a turn from a villain to a reluctant hero where she joins the X-Men, mostly for help dealing with the fact that her powers are utterly out of control. At this point, she was the classic design of Rogue, the one that fans of the X-Men animated series in the 90s will recognize. The girl who could fly, who had superhuman strength, and who couldn't touch a single person without absorbing their psyche and their powers into herself. The years have gone on. She's stayed an absolute fan favorite. Under Mike Carey in the the, uh, mid-2000s, she gained control over abilities at last. But from there, more recently in Uncanny Avengers, she's lost it once again. And she's going back towards the original design. She's definitely one of Marvel's most iconic female superheroes so it's pretty exciting to be doing a piece on her and she's changed the way she looks so much too um oh yes i mean rogue now looks so incredibly different than rogue from the brotherhood of evil mutants when we see her in avengers annual 10 so i was absolutely just, i was just curious does anyone want to chime in on on rogue's appearance because she's so striking looking in a scary way do i say <laughs> in avengers annual 10 
she was terrifying when she first appeared. Right? Like just her face, the way they constructed her face, she had just like this really weird serpentine like yes. <laughs> expression yes. that was really scary. Yeah, what was up with that? And we gotta mention the hair, right? Like Yeah, her hair was really short. The, the short hair and uh, the iconic, I guess, white streak. Yeah, the, the skunk stripe as they say. Yes. Right. <laughs> um I have yet to meet anyone in real life with the same skunk stripe. I, I actually have a story because uh, I knew a guy in high school. But see I, and this is when I asked Justin, like, is this how because do they ever explain how Rogue gets her stripe? They actually published in um, nineteen ninety two, they published um in a comic called, I think it was Marvel Super Heroes 11, they published the unfinished Chris Claremont version of, Ma- of Miss Marvel 25, and they show this picture of her, and she's definitely still got the skunk stripes. Wow. Definitely. So they were presumably just, let's say they were part of a mutation or something. Right. See, yeah, and see, and that's what always made me wonder, because in high school I knew a kid who also had... A- a white stripe in, in the same spot and I asked him like how he got that and but his story was that when he was a child it, he was burned right on that spot and then the hair just never grew back properly with color so he had like brunette hair but he had that like just a white stripe um, so I don't know if, you know so what th- that reminds me of Rogue every time and and then they never explained to her what, you know how she got hurt so I don't know if it's a genetic thing interesting yeah there was a miniseries in the 90s and then a fully-fledged series in the 2000s. That one included an arc where they revealed who Rogue's parents were. Yes. It was a very strange story, to be honest, because it turned out they were sort of hippies who traveled to the astral world and died there and weird things like that, what? but that a spirit essence of them was left behind Sounds about right. on this spiritual plane. It was a very strange series, that yeah. one. Why am I not surprised at all? I know, right? <laughs> Steve always says if it can happen in X-Men, it definitely will. Yep. It's so oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting um, what happens with Rogue and Ms. Marvel in the beginning, so I wanted to talk about their two predicaments. When we first see Carol Danvers in Avengers Annual 10, Rogue has already absorbed her powers. So let's talk about that for a little bit. What do we think about that storyline, and what is that storyline all about? I think I just find it interesting that she, that Rogue has to kind of tackle that part of herself as time progresses, and at one point even believes she is Carol and, you know, professes Absolutely. her love for someone else who obviously thinks she's out of her mind. Uh, so I love just, that issue, though. Yeah, it's yeah. really good and really interesting, but also really tragic. And it just made me realize how tragic of a character Rogue really is. Yes. Because on top of not being able to touch people and really having that that sense of uh, intimacy that's so vital to kind of the human spirit, she doesn't even really have her own self, sense of self at times because she's yes. so confused as to who she actually is. So. It just makes her like a really sad character. It does. And you know what I was thinking about? And you studied psychology, right? Am I you? Yes. So what I was thinking of is um, as she absorbs Carol Danvers, Carol Danvers becomes sort of her super ego. It and, does. Right? And, and, and it sort of changes Rogue from being a villain into being a quote-unquote good guy. And, right. Which brings her to uh, joining the X-Men. But before we get to that, I just want to get your guys' reaction to the initial predicament between Carol Danvers and Rogue. Well, it's an interesting issue from a number of respects, is Avengers Annual 10. Um, Claremont was using the Carol Danvers piece to deal with a long-running arc. So at the very end of it, you've got this, if you've not read the original issues, it seems like a very strange narrative where Carol is confronting the Avengers over a very weird plot line that happened there. But Chris Claremont basically was not happy with the direction that Miss Marvel's life had gone. And so he's trying to pick up the pieces and move her into a more stable place. It's as much about Carol as it is about Rogue. 
really that issue. Um, Rogue is very much played as the villain. She's an outright bad guy in that issue. And that's what makes it a really interesting one because you don't see much foreshadowing of the idea that she's going to turn good. I love the, uh, the way she takes down Captain America, all that kind of thing. She's played as a real tough villain to handle. And as a result, when she joins the X-Men, you're there thinking, okay, they've got a heavy hitter on their team now. I was actually wondering, what if she never joined the X-Men? What if she remained a villain? How would Rogue be as a villain today? I always thought like that would have been really cool. Like if she, but if not as a villain, just so as herself, though. Like, how do you mean? As a rogue, right? Like the idea of her name is one, like, like or um, not with a system, right? To be a rogue operative or whatever. So she, like, the idea of her being with a team is kind of weird. It's like contradictory. Like, what if she was just one powerful being, just surviving or doing whatever her personal aims were? Like, to me, she's so powerful, she can just beat anybody. I think she'd have lost her own sense of identity in the end, to be honest with you, without a team dynamic, without a family around her, because that's what the X-Men became to Rogue, a family. And I think that's what she needed. I actually don't think she'd have even made it had she joined any other super team. Really? Because the Avengers never really have that kind of family spin to them either. She needed a sense of belonging. And without it, I think she'd have lost her own personhood to someone she'd absorbed or some ones perhaps wound up as she did at one point in the mid 2000s spinning between hundreds of different personalities not knowing which one she was i remember um, that yeah i think she'd have been lost utterly lost um so let's go back to her joining the x-men um can, can, can oh, we sorry. go back to what she looks like because i only said i want to know what you guys think about the transformation of how she looks because she started off from being like the short-haired random chick that didn't seem like she was from the South. To now, she kind of looks like this Southern girl, you know, uh, long hair and everything. So I want to know what you guys think about her look. I think as time went on uh, and she became more of this important figure, I think the writers and the artists just decided to develop her more and grow out her hair and give her more of a Southern drawl and actually give her some life and personality yeah. versus just like this weird random yeah. villain that went after Miss Marvel. What's interesting is that they feminize her. Like, she becomes more feminine. Right. And um, it's interesting that, you know, becoming good is equated with becoming more feminine in this case. That's very true, actually. Um, That being said, though, for me as a child, I was starting to discover girls. And here you have Jim Lee drawing Rogue provocatively in that t-shirt. And I was like, hmm. And I sort of had, like, a little awakening to it. That's kid, I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow, Rogue is sexy. And um, I have to say, when I picked up the issue and we were looking back at it, I was like, Rogue is sexy. In the 90s. Jim Lee drew a sexy Rogue. And in the 90s, she was just portrayed that way because I was was a big fan of the animated series. I I don't remember being like, oh, Jean Grey, you know, or Emma Frost. Like, even back then, I was like, man, Rogue is like by far the hottest chick. But see, in the animated series, I like wanted her to make me chilly. But in the the comic, (laughs) I wanted to like go out with her. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because she was just in the, she was just so, southern in the animated series you know i was just uh, i like, love that though i loved it too but she was just you know she was incredibly southern yeah <laughs> but like in, in like a mommy kind of way and like like oh rogue take care of me and like give me a hug and make me something <laughs> with brown sugar you know um that's kind yeah, of yeah i think i was like, thinking of a different kind of southern so <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's interesting for me from the UK. I never heard an accent anything like Rogues in the animated series. <laughs> is it actually a genuine Southern style accent? Or no, I, I heard it's like the deeply, top? deeply South. I think it's and it's also like more Louisiana ish. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. And they make up where she's from. Like she's not the the county where she's from mississippi isn't a real county right it's yeah. an exaggerated accent yeah, yeah. you know it, as most things are in comics yeah. to get the point across yeah I, I guess they wanted to get across she's from a um non-affluent southern family right let's say uh, right but some people like that though and I, I you know i don't think it's very accurate of the south for the most part but um i think it's pretty cool well, let's go back to when she joins the X-Men. Um, the X-Men all have this sort of reaction, which is extremely negative. They don't want her yes. to join the team, and they're very unhappy about it. And a lot of them say that they'll quit if she joins. Storm particularly. Storm particularly. Um, Storm was really going through a lot in, in, in these issues. Um, wow, Storm. Um, I guess prelude to a mohawk, they should have called it. Um, that's that's <laughs> what happens. Um, <laughs> that's what happens, yeah. though. She gets the mohawk for the first time. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think about how the X-Men reacted? Would you have reacted the same way? And how do you feel about the fact that they came around at the end? I absolutely would have reacted the same way. I mean, the chick is, first of all, an extremely powerful mutant that poses a huge threat on her own. But she's proven that's the cool. fact before that she was untrustworthy. I mean, she attacked, you know, everyone. Um, what I find fascinating is just reading through these older comics and seeing like uh, how violently Wolverine reacted to her and then later on they're like super biffles so it's like such a weird kind of transition and like how did this happen because Wolverine of all people is such an abrasive individual yeah so uh, I, I just thought about it and I the only thing I could think of that they had in common was that they're both kind of like those tragic characters that feel like they can't get close to anybody Wolverine because he's scared he's going to kill or, or lose anybody mm-hmm. that he gets close to and Rogue for a similar reason because she can't touch anybody but thinking about it, it's just like, how did these two characters become so close? It's interesting, too, because they have that, that almost kiss moment, too. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not happy about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I don't blame him. They'd actually, they'd actually had a kiss yeah. beforehand. Because um, in, I think it was, here we go, 158, Uncanny X-Men 158, Rogue had fought the X-Men. And her way of taking down Wolverine in that issue had been to kiss him. Wow. Oh, so they actually had really fought it out before these guys. They weren't. This wasn't just. Oh, this is the random chick who attacked the Avengers. Wow. This was somebody they'd clashed with before. They had a history already. I did not know that. And we're going to get to the fact that she kisses her victims because I think that's a really important part of her psyche. Actually, um, she doesn't just you know she doesn't touch them. She like goes full on out and kisses them. I was thinking about that too. <laughs> you know, and, and in some cases with tongue, I think. Yeah. And there's yeah. there's one scene with Magneto where he looks very excited to be kissed. Yes. <laughs> did you see that one? I was like, whoa. Yeah, but um, but did you yeah. see that Magneto though? Like you know. Magneto was ripped. Yeah, Magneto was you. looking yeah. good. So I don't know. I think no. it was mutual. The you yeah. know the tongue kissing. No, I don't know which one I wanted more, Magneto or Rogue. At that point, to be honest. <laughs> no, okay, going back to your other point, though, uh, the first point, the question. Oh, the question right. of how the X Men reacted to yeah. Rogue joining. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I'm surprised that not all of them just attacked her. Like, it, oh, here's Rogue just walking into the compound. Like, I we would all just be destroying her. You know, um, it totally makes sense why they're angry. Xavier, you know, he, I mean, he's taking a big risk, right? And, you know, it, it's good to see Storm step up, say, hey, I'm the leader of this team right now. And no, we're not just going to take her because she says she wants to join. You know, so it totally makes sense. 
You didn't feel um, any compassion for Rogue? Oh, she's like my, shaking. Personally, oh, I was like that. I was like heartbroken for Rogue because knowing who she is mm. and that she you know. But you know, if I was an X Men, that's like you're imagining like the enemy literally the next day coming over, crossing the lines, like, hey, I want to join you guys. You you'd be like, no, you'd shoot him, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's the same concept. Yeah. No, it'd be like Tom having a French friend. Exactly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think one of the other things that really coloured them was this girl had attacked Carol Danvers. We tend to forget, but Carol was one of the few Avengers who really had ties to the X-Men. She'd been connected to the Star Jammers a few times already at this point. So she'd attacked the person who the X-Men considered their valued, trusted friend and really done her serious injury. So this wasn't just, again, there was this personal animosity, this personal vendetta. And for Wolverine, interestingly, it's actually even worse because he'd worked with Carol in spy agencies beforehand, mm. um, as Claremont eventually went on to quite happily spin out. Um, you know how he loves to embed things. Um, but Wolverine had this deeper relationship with Carol Danvers, which would surely be affecting his judgment. I think for Wolverine, the thing that does it is when Rogue is willing to take the hit for him. Oh, um, absolutely, for Mariko. Yeah. That's the thing that really sells Wolverine on her. Because I think Wolverine, yes, he's abrasive, but he has got this samurai code of loyalty and this samurai code of honor. And Claremont was really big on pulling that thread out on Wolverine especially. And to him, once this girl has proven herself, once she's shown that she has the honor, that she is worthy of being treated with honor, then for Wolverine, all chips go off his shoulder. And he's almost back to the level playing field straight away. I think in that one act, Rogue transcended her history to Wolverine. She became a new person almost to him. And just so that the listeners and the readers know, um, what kind of, and Josh and I were just talking about it, what kind of state do we find Rogue in, in X-Men? I think 171 it is, right? When she comes back to the, uh, when she tries to join the X-Men. Emotionally, she's a mess. She's right. been manipulated by Mastermind a little bit. He's pulled the ghosts out of her mind as a way of getting back at Mystique in the previous issues. And so Rogue, emotionally, she is haywire. Her psyche is completely confused already. And you've got that personality conflict going on between the mind of Carol Danvers and the mind of Rogue. Um, and she doesn't really know who she is anymore. But she's just desperate to deal with her powers. Nightcrawler says that that's an apt punishment for her crimes. Do you guys agree with that? First of all, Nightcrawler can be kind of a dick sometimes. <laughs> He's your favorite too, right? He's my favorite, but at least in the older issues, he had this weird moral complex where he saw things very black and white, mm. um, yes. which was a result, I guess, of uh, his religious inclinations and things like that. But uh, so he can be a little bit of a dick sometimes. So bad on you, Nightcrawler. Uh, but I don't. I don't think so. I mean, she she's definitely been through some rough stuff. But the fact that she was so willing to change and was so willing to join the X Men and become a better person shows that you know she deserves this new outlook on life. She deserves like a, a clean slate. So uh, I think it's a little bit unfair to say that she deserves that punishment when it's obvious that she's trying to atone for whatever kind of sins she had in the past. So if, I think deep. if it was anybody but Rogue, he probably would have been like, okay. You know, but again, back to what Tom was saying earlier, like she had done personal things to like, or done things to their personal friends. So it's like, hey man, if you messed up with my friend, like it's, it's harder for me to forgive you. I think so. He's just holding that anger in mostly. 
and it's kind of just occurring to me now. Uh, Tom will get to you in a second, but it's like we're talking about Rogue Sucky so much, but to put us in the mind of Ms. Marvel and to be someone who's had your memories and your emotions stripped away from you, that's got to be tough, and you're going to be pissed off at the person for a while. And Carol Danvers is pissed off at Rogue for years. For it. Yeah, you know. Um, but let's go back to what you were going to say, Tom. And I think for me, I actually really didn't like that scene with Nightcrawler because, as you said, Malian, in the first few comics, he doesn't seem to have, I think the phrase I would use is any grace. Because a core element of Christian theology is this idea of grace, of undeserved favor. And yet he's shifted to a very graceless perspective in the way he's treating Rogue. I think as the years went on, he learned grace through dealing with people and realizing people are not black and white. I agree with that. But at that point in time, he had a very graceless view of the world and almost put Rogue in the box of baddie deserves judgment. And as the years went on, I think he's become a person who's a lot more together than that, whose theology as well is a lot more together. Rogue absorbs life force and um, memories from other people. Is that a metaphor for something in itself? I mean, are there people who absorb your life force in some metaphorical way that are around? So there's this term, psychic vampires. Yes. Um, And they're basically people, obviously not really vampires, but they're people in your (laughs) life that just drain you, just emotionally and mentally seem to take, like, all of your resources. It could be somebody who's just super obnoxious or who has problems every day and seems to just, like, take all of your your willpower. Um, So I guess in that sense, I guess Rogue could be, like, a parallel to that. Yeah. in the sense that she's kind of a maybe she feels like a burden to the team sometimes um and just like sucks the life out of people and is kind of like a vampire in that sense i never really thought about it that way though that is pretty interesting i was like it has to be a metaphor for something right thought, yeah, yeah. she only, could be i guess a psychic vampire <laughs> if only if only my psychic vampires were southern bells that would be, <laughs> that would be it who are drawn by jim lee yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Tom, do you want to chime in? I think she occasionally goes through these acts where she starts to live vicariously through the memories that she's absorbed. And that's quite interesting um, in itself from a sort of psychological viewpoint. This person who lives through the experiences that she's never had. Um, so I think that might be something that pulls out slightly out of this idea of the psychic vampire. Um, where does she find her life and her energy and her enthusiasm to keep going? Um, yeah, um, other than that, I've got to be honest, I don't see her massively as symbolic in that sense. I think Claremont was being tremendously creative, as always, quite frankly. Um, but I think he, yeah, I'm not sure what it would have been intended as a symbol of originally, um, really there. So that's going to bring us back into our next segment, and we're going to talk about how Rogue proves herself to the X-Men, which we kind of already got into with Tom a little bit. Um, And we already discussed this, but I wanted to get into a little bit more, because Rogue tries to kiss Wolverine when she's helping him in X-Men 173. And I'm curious if you guys think, is this because she's so starved for affection that that Wolverine's actions make, make him seem so attractive to her? Or... Um, is she toying with him? Is this kind of like an Emma Frost kind of thing where she's just like messing with his emotions or, you know, what did you guys think about the kiss or the almost kiss? I should say. 
I don't feel like she was toying with him because she seemed genuinely hurt when he kind of like grabbed her throat and was like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> she, she actually seemed genuinely hurt. And I feel like it was she could be starved for attention. It's very possible. She could be trying to live vicariously through his memories, like Tom said. Um, she may just be curious about him because Tom said that uh, they had kissed before. So I'm assuming that she might have absorbed yeah. something from him. So maybe yeah. she's just curious about his character and wants to pull more from his mind or, or whatever. It's just interesting that she misread that social cue. You know, that it's like, okay, it's time to kiss now. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm going to take your fucking head <laughs> off. You know what I'm saying? It was like, whoa. Like he, he, His reaction was extreme, too. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, dude. Which I've actually found really interesting about, uh, what I found interesting about these old comics is that they're, they, the reactions in men in general are really extreme towards women. Yeah. Like that scene where Rogue was uh, telling the guy, I forget his name now, the... Michael. Yeah. Ralphie. That she was in love with him and that she was uh, Carol and everything. And he like slapped her. He's like, no. <laughs> I was like, whoa, dude, yeah, you need to calm yeah. down. That's not not that serious. Clemon <laughs> never did anything that wasn't overstated. Yeah. He never did <laughs> subtle scenes like that. That's for sure. <laughs> I guess I, I was like, I, I assumed he was just so offended that she called herself Carol, you know? I guess so, but I don't think I'd slap someone <laughs> for that. I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess Michael Rossi. Well, thought, you know, back in the day, it was more acceptable to hit women so not saying it was okay it was the 90s yeah well you, that was no, way kidding. better than now though even even any day before now is better than it was so. it was the 80s it was the 80s exactly i don't know how much better someone from the 80s is gonna be like what the f- hell are you guys talking about yeah um but you know what can you do um you guys want to <laughs> chime in kiss uh, i just thought that uh, she just wants somebody to love man you know she she's uh yeah that's that's she because she, because there's no way she's been with anybody ever, and not killed them or like taken half their life force. So I just feel like she just wants maybe, maybe she thinks that because he's self, he can't die, that maybe he, she'll be able to like and just full on do it with him, and he she won't kill him. You know, I don't know, but either way, I think she's just trying to get some some loving. I think there's a bit of it that she calls herself the rogue. And I think a bit of it as well is playing the rogue, playing the dangerous game. Um, she knows that Wolverine is a guy who can react strongly, um, who might not react in the most controlled manner. <laughs> and so therefore that's attractive to her. I mean, let's face it, she goes for the bad boys. Magneto, Gambit. It's not oh, as though she point. goes for the nice, really safe, stable people. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe a bit of it is playing that role, living up to who she wants to be, the risk taker, the chancy one. So maybe there isn't even that much thought about it going on, just a, yeah, you know what, sort of reaction going hmm. on. I don't know. You know, I have an introductory question for Josh, actually. Why for um, Why for you? Because you said Rogue was your favorite X-Men. Oh, yeah, she is. And it was one reason why we chose to do this podcast is because oh, you, yeah. know, you were a big fan of Rogue. Yes. And I'm curious, after reading these back issues, yes or no, are you still a big fan of Rogue? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. It totally, because it totally fits in with her character. You know, none of it deviated from the rogue that um i knew or didn't know are you a bigger fan now uh i don't know i don't know how level on a level of fandom i am <laughs> but i know that i i have a better appreciation and knowledge of her so, okay so yeah i guess i'm a bigger fan um what i thought was interesting too and we were going to talk about this is 
Viper sort of is shooting Rogue with this weapon. I couldn't like, quite figure out what it was. And Rogue keeps taking the shot, keeps taking the shot for Mariko. And it was all because Mariko yeah. was nice to her in the beginning and, and said, let's treat her like a guest and, and, yeah. and take good care of her. Yeah. And I thought that says so much about Rogue, you know. Um, she could have just been like, oh, you know kill her you know but she decided not to do that so i don't know i was curious if you guys thought that this said much about her character or not that's why i feel like uh going back to what nightcrawler said that she deserves this chance because it's really obvious that inside despite the stuff that she's done in the past she has a good heart and when she um when she sees good in other people she reacts to it so i feel like she is a good character she she became from like a villain to like an anti-hero to a hero she had like this cool development, so I feel like that speaks to a lot of her character and her development. She's one of the great former villains that become X-Men, I feel like, and one of the first, if not the first, right, yes. Tom? She's also one of the ones who the fans are happiest with, because wherever you go on fandom, you'll still find people grumbling that Emma Frost should still be a villain. <laughs> yes. It always comes up. She's been a hero now longer than she was a villain. <laughs> and yet fans still can't look past the villain phase. Yet for Rogue, it's almost forgotten she was a baddie. Except for the fact a load of people are like, but we want her invulnerable again, so she can, can she just absorb Carol again? <laughs> <laughs> without the memories, without those pesky memories? Yeah. I don't think we want to do that. <laughs> we don't want Carol to be pissed at her again. No. <laughs> I, I, Carol does not, did not let that go. I, mean, I don't blame her. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but why would you? I guess. I mean, I, I mean, I would hold on to it too, but man, she just kept coming at her. She was yeah. not forgetting, and, and the same costume too. Um, you know, so she did it with fashion, which I think is important. Yes. Um, so Marvel series. There was um, a two-part story where an alternate reality version of Carol Danvers slipped through into our timeline and went on a revenge spree against all different rogues from different universes <laughs> for all that she'd done. Um, My God. And it's quite interesting, though, because ca the Carols are fighting it out. Our universe is Carol trying to defend Rogue, and Rogue gets involved, and our universe is Carol is so furious she takes a couple of shots that puts rogue in the infirmary wow um it something just snaps in her temper and so there's this really interesting scene at the end of the issue where she's looking over a rogue still unconscious and beast is there i think you should go now and you're just there ouch <laughs> moral of the story is don't cross carol danvers no she is one to tough fair, boss though, they check compared it in that series to almost a rape that Rogue had done in Carol's mind so that Carol's experiences, they compared quite deliberately to powerlessness, abuse, victimization, all these different things and pulled out some really serious personality threads out of what Rogue had done. Wow. Hold that thought, so we're going to get into that in another segment too. So we're definitely going to come back to that. But, you know, I want to say I'm a huge Chris Claremont fan um, but I've also been critical of his work. And I, if anyone wants to see, I wrote this article on Comics First about um, having no more mutants and going back to the sort of Claremontian era of creating deeper characters. So please um, check that out. But um, among the many, many, many issues uh, that Claremont has that are kind of so-so, um, there's this one issue that I feel like is really great. And I feel like 
um, Uncanny X Men one of one eighty three is one of those really great issues that 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 exists in X Men because you know here you sort of start out with this whimsical story and you end up with this I don't even know what to call it but this uh, situation between her and Michael Rossi um, is he an FBI agent? He's a, uh, I think he's he's a, a shield pres- agent. Yeah, he's a shield agent. Shield well, agent. Shield agent. He, I think he turned or something because he was a prisoner of Shield at the oh, time. Oh, okay. And she breaks him out. So I forget, but I forget yes. why. Um, so, I mean, for me, the whole story picks up. That whole column picks up as she's listening to the voicemails, and then she just runs away from um, to go find him. And then all the papers are flying all over the place, and she misses yeah. the the voicemail. Or, can we call them voicemails? She misses the answering machine message yeah. from um, Ilyana Rasputin. But I, I just want—I'm just curious. Do, I mean, did you guys have such as, as positive of a reaction to the issue as I did? It was a great issue. It was also just a really sad issue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably why it was so great. Because yeah. it really made you yes. feel for her. And and Michael too, because there was something inherently sad about the way uh, he reacted to her and his realization and everything yeah. too. So He missed Carol, I yeah, guess. Yeah, he really yeah. did. I think he was just telling himself at the, in that moment, like, hey, like, just in denial. Because you could tell he... If, if it was him there, like, he, he knew that it was, you know, she was telling the truth, I think. But he couldn't accept that. Like it was just too hard to to believe that, and it was sad for her too because she couldn't control himself herself. You know. Yeah, I think it's always interesting looking at the way the different personalities that rogues absorb get integrated in her mind, because you've got almost this multi this well literal multiple personality disorder thing going on, where she can slip into another person's identity, and in a sense, that's really creepy. And in another sense, it's really, really sad. And Claremont pulled out the sad in this one. He made you realize just how gutting it must be to not truly know who you were and to get lost in another person's life. And he really made you feel for a brilliantly done issue. Yeah, and I felt like it it covered this scenario excellently. Like to cover two... To make that happen in comics, like uh, this double personality talking to uh, as two different people, but believing she's in, she's both people, it's much easier, I think, on film or maybe in writing. Yeah. But like in comic form, it's it's hard to do, and so the, the believableness of it, I think, is what really and it's just the twist. Yeah, yeah. And the moral of the story is domestic violence is sad because he hits her. Oh, I was like, how is the moral of the story? I think it's for me. It was the first time. Mm, I, Actually, I'm a little weary to say this, but it was the first time it hit me that Rogue is carrying around this huge burden and the guilt that she feels and how it's driving her insane, actually. And I I, I just love that. I thought that I thought it was done so well. And like Josh said, I thought that twist was incredible. I did not see that coming, you know. I thought, you know, I, until he said, "Oh, she's starting to speak in a in a Boston accent." You know, I had no idea that that was coming. So I was a big fan. Uh, I think that issue was what made me look back um, to when she originally came to the X Men for help, and was like, "Oh, I understand why she felt that desperate that she mm. had to go to the X Men." Because, I mean, I understood her plight when she went, but going back and seeing how much she was dealing with and how it was affecting her, like really affecting her was like, okay, I guess I can understand now why you left everything you knew and everything you had learned and mystique and everything and went to this team that hates you for help because yeah. you were that desperate. This is how much you're dealing with. Yeah, and it's true. And we should talk about mystique being her, um, uh, what's the word? Like surrogate mother. Yeah, surrogate mother and yes. the one who took care of her and stuff like that. <laughs> um, 
but she has this great line in at the height of her psychosis in that issue and she goes i am carol danvers and she's like i have her memories i have her thoughts and i was like is she kind of carol danvers carol danvers is in her in the same way that um to jump to the um more grant morrison era where jean gray was holding um professor xavier in her mind it, i don't want to say it wasn't the same kind of thing but is it similar in that there's two people in one body i think of it that way i certainly think of it that way and there were hints in age of x um that that was going on as well so in age of x in this alternate reality rogue is ab- rogue is known as the reaper and so when a mutant dies what as they're dying, Rogue would reach out and touch them and absorb their minds so that they didn't truly die, but became a part of her. Wow. Um, and in that reality, that was a fascinating way of doing that story, uh, doing her powers and using them. But it was the same kind of idea, that these people are never going to truly die because I've taken them into myself. And in the same way, Carol was now a part of her. And yeah, that really was a cool idea. I have to say, after reading these issues, I have a new sort of, I don't want to say fascination, but a new respect for Rogue. I always liked her, but um, I didn't realize what a big part of my childhood she was until I went back and read all these issues. And I was like, wow, Rogue was in all this. Um, She was a big part of all this. So I thought that was cool. Um, I think, oddly enough, for me, one of the things that reminded me of how cool she was was in, um, do any of you guys play Marvel Heroes? Yes, you play that? Yep, not very often oh. because the patches take ages to download. Yes, well, not but if you Rogue use Steam. So cool. Sorry? If you use Steam, they don't take forever to download. Right, I might try that. Yeah, try um, that. It drives it's me mad better. with that. I, I couldn't. One day I just had a well, I don't know why we're talking about this, but one day I had a problem with it so much I was like, screw this. And I downloaded the Steam version and it worked. So um, yeah, I highly recommend that. Anyway, we're cutting that. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> Rogue on Marvel Heroes, she plays brilliantly. Mm-hmm. They've done so much work on the design of the build and everything. They've actually created a way to use her absorption power in a computer game for the first time. Because if you play the X-Men Legends or anything like that, realistically, all that she ever does is increase her health or punch things. Mm. But in X-Men Legends, she can literally pick up a power based on who you've chosen. Um, In uh, Marvel Marvel Heroes, Heroes, she can literally pick up a power by who you go and touch. It's really well done. That's really cool. Um, and it's interesting that we talk about Rogue's powers because now we're going to talk about a time when Rogue is completely powerless in the Savage Land. Yes. Um, so, you know, we did a podcast where we talked about Rogue and Magneto and uh, we discussed them as a couple and it was about a year ago. And um, please go listen to that in our, in our couple's podcast. And um, they were a very polarizing couple, to say the least. People were calling me disgusting because I chose them to be on our couples list. Um, they were <laughs> really? like, wow, Justin, that's really gross. But, you know, whatever. I'm getting older, so I kind of get it. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I, they had just like a when – I was, when I was young, I was like, wow, what a sexy couple having an, an interesting romp in the savage land. And I, <laughs> as an adult, I felt the same way. I was like, you know what? Go Magneto. Go Rogue. Go with your powerless selves and make out – with dinosaurs i mean you know yolo um so like um i guess the best way to put that yeah i mean realize you've just phrased it that they should go make out with dinosaurs (laughs) i just got a picture of rogue trying to kiss a t-rex now (laughs) listen she'll kiss
kiss anyone. I, I she kissed more people than I have ever <laughs> thought about kissing. No, she kisses a lot. She kisses. Look, she's tr- she's trying to absorb this guy's power. He's like a random guy. She starts kissing him. It doesn't work, and he starts kissing her back. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's I'm not making it well, up. That was pretty funny. He's like, yeah, let's do that again. <laughs> you know, it's in Fate Attractions. There's actually a scene where she kisses Magneto, and he's just like. Hmm. Not working anymore. <laughs> I've worked it out. But that was a delicious reminder of what could have been. Right. His expression. Right. So, I, you know, so again, am I crazy because I like Rogue and Magneto as a couple? I don't know if you're crazy, but I don't personally think <laughs> they're all that great of a couple. It just seemed like a really weird, not necessarily forced dynamic, but kind of a circumstantial weird relationship that definitely circumstantial yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that specific rogue and that specific magneto perfect but like the regular rogue and magneto uh, no really the regular one i mean but like the nowadays rogue. can you see magneto now with still rogue still he flirts with her recently right in in, in he flirted yeah, with her a little. yeah old yeah, dudes can flirt with girls but i'm saying like as a couple let me say something. Magneto, Magneto must have serious game because <laughs> he's been around. Like, let's be real. Yeah. No, he's been around. <laughs> he's yeah. Been around. Yeah. No, to be seriously. fair to Magneto, he had been rejuvenated at this point, so he was probably only in the body of someone in their late twenties, early thirties. Oh, he again was. Because um, he was regressed to a really young age by mutant alpha and brought up by moira mctaggart as a kid and then Wasn't, didn't that happen right after this though all manner of weird stuff had gone on but he was actually in the body of someone in their late 20s early 30s at this point oh i did not know that so, i thought that happened after yeah i thought that's when he had the long hair yeah wasn't that when he was no, joseph um, they deal with the repercussions of that but um that happened before he even joined the x-men oh because um, you know before this arc he'd actually led the x-men for a little while as well yeah um, but even before then He'd been de-aged and so on. I think he was rejuvenated again. Um, I think he's got a trend going on, you know. Um, <laughs> can I can I get whatever Magneto's doing? I know right, it's right. like uh, it's wow, yeah. He I guess he has, gets a little nip tuck here and there, so <laughs> he sees a problem, he fixes yep. it. Yeah. You know? um, it happens. So wow, um, I didn't know he was rejuvenated that many times. I think to me one of the most interesting bits about Rogue and Magneto was actually in years later in Uncanny X-Men 350 um, because Magneto's in the guise of Eric the Red at this point and he's putting Gambit on trial for his crimes and so on and what's really interesting is he grabs Rogue with magnetic powers Rogue's wearing these magnetic metal bracelet things handcuffs that's it really long things that cover her arms for some reason Um, and he pulls her along and forces her to kiss Gambit and absorb his memories. And Rogue compares that to being mentally raped at that point. Now, that's Magneto who did that to her. That's the key thing I'd pull out there. I'm sorry, but I find it really hard to treat Magneto and Rogue as a legitimate couple after that event in Uncanny X-Men 350. Oddly enough, Carrie seemed to make them work really well. But still, to me, that should have been a major barrier 
to any relationship ever being rekindled. I mean, the X-Men are so amazing at getting over things because, um, you know, Emma Frost <laughs> locked them in cages. Next thing you know, they're all best friends. Um, you know, it was it took a while, but... I don't you know, know if they're best friends, yeah. yeah no, but, like, Storm, Storm, like, doesn't care. She was like, oh, like, Kitty Pride was like, you locked us in cages. I'll never yeah. figure out what evil is. But Storm was like, you know what? I liked being in the cage. Um, so I don't really... I, you know, I was, like, surprised that that she just got over it, you know. I that mean, is really strange. I would have. It would have taken me a few months. Um, you know, I. I don't. I mean, I've never been particularly fond of Emma, so I don't know if I would have <laughs> ever gotten over it. But I yeah, I forgot you're like a, you don't like the Phoenix. I don't really like the Phoenix either. No. Oh my God, man. I know I'm a terrible person. <laughs> we have to sway you into loving the Phoenix. <laughs> Wait, do you not love the Phoenix, or do you not like Jean Grey? I'm okay with Jean Grey. I just feel like. The whole relationship between her and the Phoenix is so overused and overplayed oh, that I'm sick that. of it. I, that's yeah. totally understandable. Oh, that's absolutely understandable. Many reasons to hate the Phoenix. You know, Jean Grey herself is fine, but the Phoenix. Yeah. No, but she, it just shows up to save every the day. No, it's true. It's very Deus Ex Machina. But Kathy hates Jean Grey, though. Like, yeah. hates Jean Grey. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you can only read 500 Jean Grey issues before you don't like her anymore, I guess. I guess. So, anyway, anyway, I digress. Um, Tom, did you get to finish what you were saying? Um, yes, I finished off there. I just find it incredible to believe that the two would wind up going out together again. Oh, I, it's after what you just explained. It seems pretty unlikely, right? But it, Carrie does make it, it work for a little bit. Well. <laughs> I, <laughs> Rogue does seem to soften Magneto when they're in the Savage Land together. Um, he leaves someone to die, and she she suggests that they do things differently because they're the good guys. And aside from if you like them together or not, what do you think of the nature of their relationship to one another is and, and what, what makes them tick? And I know you were saying that it was very circumstantial. Um, they just both happened to be there. And yeah. She happens to be powerless. That's and... definitely what it felt like, at least to me. Yeah. It just felt like it was a matter of circumstance. And in that sense, it didn't really feel very organic or... I mean, they both clearly were consenting adults and yeah. did what they wanted to do, but it felt very temporary and not, you know, a lasting relationship. I think it was a nice little summer fling in the, in the Savage Land <laughs> with dinosaurs and, you know, <laughs> random stuff happening. Yeah. Right. And running for their lives. Oh, yeah, and that too. She yeah. was powerless. Do you think the they had sex? Yeah. Do you think they had sex? Oh. But look what they're wearing. And, <laughs> and all they have out there, by the way, is like... Sticks, like loincloths and dinosaurs. What else are you gonna do? Ride dinosaurs? I yeah. Mean, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There's this one cover. I think it's a cover or a scene, um, a panel in the book, where it's like it looks like a drugstore romance novel. <laughs> it's like Magneto with the loincloth, and she is in her like little skimpy yeah. Savage Land thing, and she's like draped over his chest with like her. It's just it's the, the cover, most. Yeah. It's yeah. the yeah. most cheesy romance cover yeah. in the universe. <laughs> so I feel like if she can touch him and knows that there's no repercussions for her, she probably would have. Wow. Okay. I, I was on the side of, you know, I thought they, like, knit together or something. What, they know? just, I was like, I, what, they mouth kissed for, I, like, months, you know? And I didn't know, I, well, they, I, yeah, I just, you know, I didn't know she would, uh, I don't know. I like to think of her as a virgin, I don't know why. No, I think he was exploring her savage land, so. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tom, do you want to chime in after that? <laughs> I think there's a whole different debate, though, in this one of the idea of the woman who can't touch um, almost becoming over-sexualized in the early, late 80s, early 90s and treated in a way that, realistically, you look and think, 
why? This doesn't add up. The concept and the way she was graphically presented almost contradicted at times. And that's quite interesting. The Savage Land was the worst of it. I still find it incredible that that Savage Land costume is seen as an iconic costume design for Rogue. Uh, <laughs> it's so Rogue. iconic to me, so I'm not going to lie. Like, Heroes, I'm... It's actually one of the costumes you can buy for the character is the Savage Land <laughs> look. Do you know I wrote them a letter and said, can you have this costume available? Oh, no, I'm kidding. But I might as well have because that's when I think of Rogue, I think of her in the Savage Land skimpy, the, the torn X t-shirt. I don't know why. That just seems so <laughs> drafty though uh, it's, it's but she was it was warm it was warm though to be fair yeah to be fair it's warm in the savage well, land, you, you know? it's, it's more agile when you're dodging dinosaurs you know you get more space to maneuver yeah. sure we'll go with that yeah. <laughs> yeah here you have rogue at this sort of midpoint in her character development as the voice of of as a moral compass for magneto she's telling him what's right and what's what's not right to do and he's listening to her and I was curious if you guys had any thoughts about that well, or not. I just, well, I guess Marlene mentioned this earlier, but just back to the fact that she has a good heart. I think she's always just been a good person, you know, but she needed people and that's why she turned to evil sometimes. And, but I think she's overall still a good moral person. Magneto just seems like such a stoic and difficult. He has such a stoic and difficult personality that I was actually kind of surprised that he was so willing to kind of bend to her ideas and her moral compass like you mentioned yeah i think because he liked her moral compass a lot yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know next thing you know he was like whatever you want well that makes sense well, yeah. i do want to mention bring up though like why did he just like i don't know i guess he just killed the carol Demers part i'm i seem to be remember i seem to remember that rogue had gone through the siege perilous yes. and came out of it even worse confused with Carol almost as a separate entity at the start right, of this. So like the madness two, right, yeah. seems to be that the two were being split apart. The idea was, though, that because of the magic of the Siege Perilous, only one of those two bodies could live anymore. There was one life force, two bodies. I remember that, One yeah. could live, the other had to die. Uh... And Magneto made his choice. So he quite simply chose to make sure Rogue stayed alive by default. Carol Danvers' body died. Obviously, the real Carol didn't. This was just a mystic construct as to... Because uh, the Siege Perilous, the idea was, which person will you want to be to give you a fresh start? But a person as divided as Rogue, which fresh start do you want, girl, is the question. Do you want the fresh start as Rogue or the fresh start as the person you regret what you did with? Um, so Magneto really made the choice for her. I okay. remember that. That makes sense. Yeah. She woke up and she's like, what happened? And he yeah. was looking over her and said, oh, well, I decided for you. So. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> yeah. I choose, chose you. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah. well, where'd Carol go? Like, but she's I guess gone. she's just dead now. The original Carol, right? We're part of the original Carol. Yeah, the original Carol is Captain Marvel now. Well, right. But Rogue still had part of her like, oh, memory. The, like the all mystical. those, all yes, those, yeah. Mess, yeah, yeah, those yeah. parts of her. Yeah. Um, I see it almost as though Rogue, part of, because Carol, in Avengers Annual 10, unlike the animated series, Carol wasn't in a coma for years and years. She was just in a coma for a little while. So to me, what Rogue did was absorb her, and part of Rogue's psyche became almost a mirror of who Carol had been at that time. Um, while the real Carol was still walking around and lived a completely different life. Um, so the mirror if you like, was broken and shattered at last, gone, cast out. Um, in just the same way as, for example, um, years later in the 2000s, she'd sneaked her claws because she'd absorbed Wolverine years ago and things. So the shadow, had, the 
mirror of them had been left in her. Um, so I think that's what went on myself. And in this segment, what we're going to talk about is everyone's favorite couple. Um, I don't know everyone's favorite, but certainly more so their favorite than uh, Rogue and Magneto is um, Gambit and Rogue. Um, and the first question I have about Gambit and Rogue is that um, it's interesting because their relationship started out as just a flirtation. It was never meant, I'm yeah. sure you can corroborate this time, it was never meant to be anything. Um, it was just a, yeah. just a little few panels of them flirting. Um, but the fans loved it so much they demanded that the two get together. And um, they have this like really fiery, passionate attraction to each other. And what do you guys think is at the bottom of that? <laughs> I think to me, it's, as I said, Rogue seems to be attracted to the bad boy. And Gambit is the consummate bad boy. I think initially, initially Gambit's attraction to Rogue just seems to be, oh, this is the girl I'm not supposed to touch, eh? You know, this is the one I want to conquer. Ah. I think he's really shallow at that point in time. You get that bit of dialogue in one of the early issues of the X-Men 90s series where he nearly kisses her after playing a game of basketball and Jubilee's there going, sort of reaction. It's hilarious. But you really get the feeling that Gambit's just seeing her as a challenge, as an object at that point. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a bit of nobility hidden under Gambit's character. So for all the flirtatiousness and so on, he actually does care there's a good person buried beneath his bad boy act and rogue sees that probably because she's been the bad girl you know she's been the villain herself so she looks beyond that a little bit with occasional exceptions like when she strands him in antarctica to die <laughs> um, you know so occasional extreme exceptions shall we say but i think that because of her powers rogue could appreciate his character a little bit more they then got thrown into different scenarios where they saw insights into one another's character. The Belladonna piece um, in Brood Trouble in the Big Easy in X-Men and Ghost Rider crossover. Um, then you had when... I think they've alternated in terms of being blinded because after Executioner's Song, Rogue was blinded and had to rely on Gambit. And then in the 2000s, Gambit was blinded and had to rely on Rogue. It's like, what? I so they've learned that. to depend on each other. Josh? I was just going to say, I think why the fans wanted it is just because people want to see, like, what if the guy who could get any girl, can he get the girl who can't get anybody? You know, Ooh. so that's, that's the whole idea. It's like a long, that, that's used, that trope is used all the time. Um, but, to, I, but I think in general, like, those two characters are sexy together, though. No, I like, that. I think I people that. are attracted to, like, either her southernness, like, or... In, in fact, and they, people are attracted to his dirt. Yeah, and, well, I don't know. Yeah, dirt. Would you say dirt? <laughs> yeah, he's dirty. He's, he's like a filthy person. You can tell he showers once a week. I mean, I guess. I don't, I don't <laughs> know if they're attracted to yeah. that, but, you know, okay. I'm a fan of Gambit. Take offense yeah. to that. I mean, you know, I, man looks like he doesn't shower a lot. I don't know what to say. I don't know. That's just his look. Like Tommy says, he's a good guy, oily hair. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Grunge was a thing. It was a thing. That's all I'm he, saying. He's very grungy, though. Yeah. But you know what kind of sums up their relationship to me is that that panel, um, or those two panels where she's like, why won't you talk about your ex-wife? And he's like, why won't you tell me your real name? And then... Um, they have a back and forth. Yeah. And then she's like, why won't you... Um, why won't you tell me how you feel about me? And he goes, why won't you let me show you? And I was like, that's... That was a good scene. Gambit and Rogue. Though, I also yeah. have to agree with Tom um, in the sense that Gambit definitely is a noble character under that 
weird facade because there was another panel in one of the later issues where they had a discussion on you know the fact that they can't touch or whatever and he's like well i guess we'll just have to have a relationship where we don't touch and he seemed perfectly content with that outcome like that wasn't at all weird to him he just accepted it as it was and i don't know if he had the hope that that would change in the future but that was really telling to me because i put myself in rogue shoes and imagine having a relationship with someone that you can never even kiss Right, and and yeah. the other person is totally fine with it. And he said something about, um, you know, transcending that weird physical limitation. And that that's that's a really hard thing for us as human beings to do. So there's definitely a noble core underneath all of the not showering. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about the not showering thing, but it's 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 definitely a romance in the truest sense. So. Well, it's interesting because um, when Claremont introduced Gambit, he planned Gambit to actually be a traitor. Um, so the idea had been that Gambit would join the team. He There seemed to be hints that he was going to have a romance with Storm in Claremont's original plan. Wow. So you see this brilliant bit where he's jealous of Forge and there's just these hints of where Claremont seems to be going. But his idea was originally Gambit would be a traitor to the X-Men. And it was the fans' popularity after Claremont had left that made the X-Men editorials turn around and say, actually, we don't want this guy turning bad. He's too popular. We don't want to lose this guy. So Gambit's plotline takes a complete turn because, really, just because he was written. And as he was written, the fans reacted and the writers took on board. Okay, this works. Wow. Wasn't Let's he a, go with it. Let's not ruin it. Right. Wasn't he a bad guy in the animated series, though? In X-Men Evolution, I think. It was. Oh, yes, yeah, he, he was. was one okay. of, Evolution. He was with the one Brotherhood of the for a while. Yeah. I just remember him with, like, Toad and... Yeah, he was with the brother. Yeah. But he came in a lot later than the other characters, and I don't think he was featured as heavily in X-Men Evolution. Nah. Although, hilariously, he'd have a couple of scenes where you saw Rogue attract yeah. to him. Yeah. And you were just like, <laughs> there's supposed to be such a big age difference between these two in this series. <laughs> a little Seriously, bit awkward. guys. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think, though, like realistically why gambit like you said is someone who could get anyone because i don't think they developed that yet but doesn't he have some kind of powers of persuasion or something like that clement hinted at it and yeah. then he got forgot okay um yeah. but he, i mean he's a bad guy bad boy right. like you guys yeah. have said so he could definitely get so why would he feel motivated to stay with rogue of all people a person like he can't touch right and i'm trying to wrap my head around it and it's kind of actually really difficult the only thing I yes. can think of is that they'd spend so much time together that he eventually just really legitimately fell in love with her and somehow through that noble core of his decided that it was okay. Yeah. But that seems like hard to that seems like a hard idea to wrap my head around. No, it's it's crazy, yeah, especially because of who who he is as a character and who she is. So it, it it's a relationship that in idea, in theory might never work, but you know, it's a great On the example. paper it seems to have. Right. Yeah, it's Although, nice. I I gotta say, for me, I've got a really controversial attitude towards these two because I actually think that the Rogue and Gambit thing damaged both characters badly. Because when you read all through the 90s, you can't read a Rogue story without Gambit being in it, and you can't read a Gambit story without Rogue being in it. Whereas the two characters beforehand had stood really strongly on their own two feet. And I think that was one reason that the characters, both of them really sank out of the spotlight as the years went on because they'd become less and diminished because of the way their relationship had become all that the writers wrote about them and rogue in the 90s certainly the late 90s she almost devolves into this walking relationship waiting to happen um 
and that's a shame. That's a real shame to me. I, I do have to kind of agree with you on that point. Like I, from what I remember, especially in the late nineties and all, it, everything. If you heard about Rogue, it was like something with Gambit and the other way around every time. So there is something to be said about that, definitely. You know, Rogue goes grows to truly love Gambit unconditionally, and uh, you know, did we talk about Gambit's confession um, at the end of X Men three fifty with sending him to Antarctica? Not yet, really. Not um, yet. Okay. That's, whew, that was a tough scene. That was a really tough scene. Um, Steve Siegel had actually planned to write Gambit out of the X-Men comics altogether for years' worth of writing then, but editorial panicked at the idea and told him to bring him back quite quickly. Wow. The idea had been, though, that Gambit would step out. Uh, Siegel took the attitude that I've expressed a little there, that Gambit and Rogue diminished one another. So he wanted to write Rogue. He did not want to write Gambit and Rogue. Hmm. So he just wanted Gambit as far out of the picture as you can. Tell you what, let's dump him in the most remote continent imaginable. You know, short of leave the guy in Shi'ar space. He couldn't exactly have done much worse for Gambit to make him unobtainable. Um, But he'd taken the same kind of attitude I take, that Rogue and Gambit needed to stand on their own two feet a little. Um, Editorial disagreed. I take the attitude too. Uh, you know, I like to see them on their own. I like to see them. I mean, they're two whole individuals and two whole heroes. And um, you know, when they're on the same team, I don't know. They kind of do diminish each other a little bit in a way that Magneto and Rogue kind of don't. In my opinion. But she had no powers. <laughs> but they were together again. That was, that was, yeah. no, what about Age of Apocalypse? You know, okay, X Men Legacy. X Men Legacy. Age of X. Yeah, you know, there's all these. Um, Anyway, I digress. <laughs> that, that. Yeah. There's a hilarious line in um, oh, one of the games where Beast is supposed to be talking to Rogue, and he says, Research into alternate realities, Rogue, has proven that in a surprising number of them, you wind up going out with Magneto. Okay. And you're just there like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting that you bring up um, X-Men Legacy, because years later, Xavier, with the help of um, Danger, Danger, Josh reminds me, um, is able to give Rogue what she wants, which is control over her powers. And I was curious if you thought Rogue's story, if her arc was was different now that she was in control of her powers. Without these sort of intrusive thoughts, is she still a metaphor for someone with OCD, like we were talking about with the superego, or um, do we, and we'll, we'll talk about Rogue later as a metaphor for someone who's been sexually abused, but does she still serve these metaphors now that she has control of her powers? I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Yeah. There's no point to that. I mean, I guess it's to get, so she can touch people. Yeah. You know, be more human. I guess it makes sense in that idea, but I don't like it for her character. You didn't like it. What about you, Tom? I thought it was utterly logical that it had to happen sooner or later yeah. because there are only so many directions you can take that character without doing something that's going to change them. And to me, Mike Carey hit upon a really good idea. I liked the way that having gained control of her power, she could now help the younger students who were struggling to deal with their powers. So X-Men Legacy, it became almost Rogue's legacy of her trying to act as a mentor figure. And I felt she grew so much with that. I mean, I recognize not everybody did. It seemed to polarize fans so much. But to me, it was utterly logical that sooner or later a writer had to toy with this idea. Um, I don't particularly like that they seem to have now gone back in Rick Remender's Uncanny Avengers. But that's just because I don't like that kind of regressive. Yeah. 
think it was satisfying to me as a fan. Was it? Yeah, because like Tom said, you finally get a resolution for her character. She finally kind of finds a solution and fixes herself and can move on and grow from there because she can do so much more now that she has control of her abilities. But I can understand other from other from other fans' perspectives um, that it kind of dissolves the the character of rogue that we knew because it's like the ops is the obstacle of the character right. and yeah. is the character the obstacle they become synonymous at some exactly. point exactly yeah. so i can understand if someone didn't appreciate it but for me it was really great to see her finally like, have a resolution like to me she, it makes her invulnerable she's like superman without the kryptonite now she, well not necessarily because she's dependent on what there is around her what she can get her hands on, right? And how quickly she can work out how to use those powers in conjunction. So he had some really interesting bits where she'd absorbed a ton of powers in conjunction and threw them all at once. But then you had other ones where I think there was one in AVX where she's going up against Carol Danvers and she misapplies a power by accident, and so is much less effective than she should be. Um, so I can see where you're coming from, but I think it. It depends how it's played out and how it's written to me. I agree. On it depends. I know. I was torn because, you know, I loved that there was this resolution to her character. But, you know, I also loved that, you know, Rogue was someone who I could um, connect with and was like, and, and saw myself in a little bit. And I was like, oh, now we have different problems. You know what I'm saying? And now we're not, I can't connect with you in the same way anymore. And um, there was a little bit of that going on with me. But, I, you know, I, I, I guess I was. Ultimately, I was happy to see her have control of her powers, but then to find out from Tom in Uncanny Avengers, she has lost control of them again. I don't like that retcon. I, either make up your mind is what I've said. Make up your mind, yeah. Even for someone who doesn't like the fact that they gave her control, like let her keep it. Don't why rewrite yes. it to you know that makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously they can't make up their mind because they're ending the whole Marvel well, universe yeah. and starting it over. Maybe she'll have it again. You know, who knows? So, it was, real rogue, please stand up. <laughs> and I think it says a lot about her um, that when she gets control over her powers, the first thing she doesn't, the first thing she does isn't you know walk around touching anyone. She doesn't kiss Gambit right away. And you know, what, do you, what did you guys think about that? Beautiful scene to me. Yeah. Um, because what Rogue really needed wasn't the intimacy; it was the psychological peace not hearing all these different nagging minds actually having the opportunity to say this is who i am all those different psyches are gone now i've been washed clean real fresh start the freshest fresh start a character like rogue can ever have it was what she really wanted and for me at that second carrie looked beyond the sexual concepts and so on and said right rogue is more than that she's a person who wants peace that was her real quest. That was what brought her to Xavier. Not the fact she can't touch a guy, but the fact that she hasn't got peace. It was And so to me, yeah. he looked all the way back to that first issue where Rogue joined the X-Men, and he tied a brilliant little bow tie on it. Um, so loved it. Beautiful scene to me. Can you tell I'm a fan of Mike Carey's writing? <laughs> <laughs> I love Mike Carey too, yeah. He's a great writer. Just goes to show, too, how much self-control she has or has yeah. developed over yeah. time. She goes um, and meditates for the love yeah, of God. That yeah, that was really cool to see. Yeah. But uh, so not only did she have a resolution in the fact that, you know, her abilities are more in control, but she has control, self-control herself. Because like uh, Tom yes. said, and like you said, she didn't automatically go around just like kissing everyone and be like, hey, I can touch y'all yeah, now. That's right? great. Yeah. She was just satisfied with the knowledge that she could. Mm. Right. 
and and that's great. Um, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about what happens to her in Uncanny Avengers, and then um... <laughs> I will say I'm not a fan of those twists. Okay. Um, essentially, in Uncanny Avengers, Rick remembers he started out by, as he put it, regressing the character of Rogue quite dramatically. Um, the mm. idea was that Xavier's death that. destabilized her. And made her go back to the rebel phase where she rejected power, rejected authority. And so there's this one scene early on, which it was hilarious, but it made me wince as well. I laughed and winced at the same time. It's a very strange reaction. (laughs) Um, But Wasp and Havoc walk in and Rogue is there in Avengers Mansion taking down the paintings of the Avengers and putting up a painting of Xavier. And Wasp's there. That's our heritage. That's our memory. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was dedicated to Charles Xavier's memory now is Rogue's whole attitude. Oh, wow. And it's as though he just upped to the old sass and rebel and all that and forgot everything that had been done in about the past 10, 15 years. Then by the end of the first series of Uncanny Avengers, she's absorbed Wonder Man and can't touch people again and can't get his psyche out of her head. And therefore, of course, that means she has super strength, can fly. It just feels like we were trying to do well it's how i reacted to when uh, they did one uh, brand new day in spider-man let's go back rewrite history set the clock back pretend the last few things never happened so that we can get back to a brand that we thought was more popular uh, and i don't like it when you do that if yeah. they do change let the change stick if that brand doesn't work anymore build a new brand that's the way i see it with it don't damage the characters by leaving them unable to change and locked in a continuous cycle um, in which they just return to their point of origin because you think the point of origin is what sells. Sorry, I sounded really opinionated then. No, it was totally <laughs> okay. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of brings us to a natural conclusion to our Rogue podcast. But before we go, I kind of was curious if, um, just say the name Rogue, and I was curious if you all had a first word that came to mind after I said her name. Resilient. I think that's probably the word I'd pick for her because she's been through a lot and she's still chugging. So Love it, love it. I would say tragic. Tragic would be my word. I think for me, the honest word was just cool. I just love the idea of Rogue so much that it appeals and the concept is so well done. My first word is just cool. Cool works. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have a word for it, but she's definitely the character that got me into X Men. So, there you go. Yay, Rogue. Yay is my word. Yay. Yay is a good one. Yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we have no Kathy here this week, so we have sadly no sign off. Um, but I'm going to use my favorite, my favorite one of Kathy's sign offs, which is um, don't put comics first in the comics first. We're still alive, people. So, on that note, <laughs> A reminder that you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsfirst, on Twitter at at comicsfirst, on YouTube at youtube.com slash comicsfirsttv, and please check out our video reviews every week. And And subscribe. And subscribe. Thank you, Josh. And thank you so much, Marlene, for being here. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Yeah. All right, guys. And thank you, Tom. Oh, well, Tom is, you know. Oh, yeah. A pleasure. Yeah. Tom doesn't get anything. (laughs) (laughs) Tom just is. (laughs) It's been nice to meet you as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, guys.